You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for The Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. If you have a Bible in hand or a phone that you use as a Bible, um, I invite you to open it uh, to the New Testament letter uh, called Colossians, Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, where we have been... uh, learning since the start of the fall, and it's been great so far. We are uh, still in chapter 1, so we'll be in Colossians chapter 1, and the passage will also be uh, for you to, to read behind me. Um, our verses are chapter 1, 12 to 14, but those verses are in the middle of a run-on sentence, so it's kind of confusing. So I'm going to be reading from verse 9, which we've already learned about, but Paul is... Uh, asking a rhetorical question about how to live a life that's fully pleasing to the Lord. And in this morning's verses 12 to 14 are part of his answer. So starting at verse 9, Paul says, For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will In all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. In him we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. So for the past two weeks, we've been learning about this life, what Paul calls a life fully pleasing to God. We discovered two weeks ago that a God-pleasing life is marked by bearing fruit in our good works. Bearing fruit in our good works. That's from verse 10. And last week, we learned about a life that pleases God as we endure through God's strength. That was in verse 11. And today, we complete our time in this section by seeing how a life that is pleasing to God will be marked by gratitude towards God and all that he's done for us. I realize that the timing of this message could have only been better if it were one week later happening next, next Sunday because next Sunday is Thanksgiving. Um, but a week margin of error by one week is still pretty good. So we're on the right track and we will be preparing our hearts looking ahead to however we might celebrate Thanksgiving next weekend because I think there is much for us to learn about and be reminded of as we look at how a Christian is to be truly thankful, and perhaps how this is distinct from our culture's ideas about thankfulness. Not that Christian gratitude goes against cultural thanksgiving or versions, but rather that we have different reasons and responses to give thanks, whether that's next weekend or any other time of year. 
So I will begin by saying something that you may have heard me say before. Pretty much any time that we approach a, a command in Scripture, an exhortation, a call to do something like love God, love our neighbor, to forgive others, to have humility, or in this case, to be grateful, if these were the types of things that we were already perhaps automatically good at, then God wouldn't waste our time by telling us to do them. Okay? So when God tells us to be thankful, let us not gloss over it as, as if it's something that we already know about and we're already perfect at, because we aren't. We need to pay attention to this command because I believe it is for each of us. It's for me and it's for you. What I mean by this is that good fruit that Paul talks about, or the fruit of the Spirit, which we sometimes call it, is usually not an automatic thing that happens. The fruit is gifted to us by the Spirit. It is supernatural, but it does require a cultivation of some kind on our behalf in order to have that fruit grow. So in the case of gratitude, or joyful gratitude, as the passage says, I would argue that this does not usually happen automatically, and it doesn't even usually happen uh, easily as we you know, pursue that. It can be difficult. And this is because, and I may just be describing myself here if I am, forgive me, but we are naturally prone to feeling dissatisfied, to grumbling, we're tempted to be uh, greedy or towards feelings of bitterness, feelings of entitlement, or demand, feel, being demanding or self-pitying or all these other things that will happen when we fail to live gratefully in our life. G.K. Chesterton sums it up like this. When it comes to life, that's a big statement, the critical thing is whether you take things for granted or take them with gratitude. Chesterton is right, and Paul would agree as he commands his listeners to be thankful. Gratitude is no small thing. It is critical to life. It's an opportunity that we have that if we actually choose to take part in it, will benefit us greatly, but if we miss out on it, we're missing a critical part of what it means to be a Christian. But again, giving thanks to God is something that we need to consciously choose to do, something that will require practice and maturity and failure and growth. It's a process that, of course, is at work by the power and grace of God's Spirit in us while we walk. So uh, today's passage is fascinating because it's not just the instruction to give thanks, but it's also uh, a list of profound reasons. Paul gives us reasons as to why the Christian gives thanks to God. It's one thing for someone to say, you should be thankful, but I appreciate that Paul actually tells us why. Verses 12 to 14 says, Give thanks to the Father who has enabled you to get the job that you want and have that special person in your life and to be able to afford the stuff that you really want. 
oh, wait a second. No, that's not what it says. That's what I say when I'm thinking only of my circumstances and trying to list the good things in my life. That's actually not the reasons that Paul gives, is it? Those are the things that we would maybe naturally be thankful for or that we may be angry about if we don't have or envious that other people have. That's not what Paul is on about. So we should be careful to tend not to think this way. It's common for us to lean that direction, to run to God in gratitude for the things which we feel thankful for. These are because they're, they're from him. They're good things from him. Enjoyable blessings. But let us not wait for those to turn to God in gratitude. Let us not wait for that feeling of happiness to then thank God for the things that he's given us. Because this is focusing on our circumstances, which will rise and fall according to whatever we may be experiencing. This kind of gratitude depends on our happiness, which comes and goes. But we can see that this is not a distinctly Christian approach to giving thanks, because it isn't really about Jesus or the character or faithfulness of God, but more about our comfort or happiness in this life. To this, um, Henry Nouwen says, the discipline of gratitude. Notice how he calls it a discipline, not a feeling or something else. The discipline of gratitude is the explicit effort to acknowledge that all I am and have is given to me as a gift of love, a gift to be celebrated with joy. And there's that word joy again. I feel that Nowen is possibly reflecting on the passage that we're talking about. Gratitude and joy. You see, the main reason that Christian gratitude and thankfulness goes deeper than circumstances is because in Jesus, we have been given something that transcends our temporary happiness, something that gives us hope in times of difficulty and suffering. And for that, we are able to be grateful, even joyful in all circumstances, all circumstances. Now, am I saying that we can't thank God for the good and happy things in life that we experience? Of course not. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, we are to thank him for whatever we have. But friends, that's not the motivation. That's not the foundation of our gratitude to God. Our circumstances is not the reason that Christians are to be thankful through and through. It's because of Jesus. So we're going to talk about what this looks like and how it plays out a little bit. Um, as I thought about this, I wanted to uh, talk about uh, one of the ways that we, uh, Chris Lynn and I, teach our kids to pray. Um, we give each of them a responsibility to pray one of the nights of the week before, uh, before we have supper. It's like, say grace or whatever. My night is Monday night, and... I don't know anybody else's night, but Chris Lynn does. So every other night, we're like, or I ask, so whose turn is it to pray? She knows. Um, but each of our kids take turns, and I love their, their prayers. There's not too much um, 
you know, instruction or whatever. Obviously, we give them our example. Other than trying to referee the other siblings so that while the one is praying, the other ones aren't being extremely uh, disrespectful or running away or usually they're just like stuffing their faces. So wait until we're done praying, things like that. Um, it's chaos, but it is beautiful because we're coming together as a family to pray uh, briefly. And so anyways, I love my kids' prayers, um, and I especially love the way that our four-year-old, uh, Malachi, begins the way that he prays. But before I tell you how he starts his prayers, I want to play a little game where we fill in the blank here, okay? So um, if you think about maybe how you pray, or you've heard me pray, or someone else, your average um, contemporary Christian, how do we tend to start our prayers? Usually we say thanks uh, to God. So we say, dear God, thank you for, fill in the blank. You can shout it out. Dear God, thank you for, uh, that's it, Grace. Uh, but more, more generically, your goodness, that would be, that would be a, a great thing to say. Dear God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this day. That's what I'm thinking of. That's how so often I feel like 80 to 85% of prayers begin with a, a thanks for this day, which is a fine way to begin. Nothing wrong with that. Um, but Malachi has taught me a better way, actually, than saying thank you, God, for this day. He says, dear God, thank you for God. And he says it without like, it's just, he kind of is a quiet talker, and so he says it quickly and quietly. And the first few times I heard it, I wasn't sure if I was catching it, but then he kept saying it, and he still says it. He gave me permission, by the way, to teach it to you, um, to begin your prayers by saying, dear God, thank you for God. Dear God, thanks for God. I bring this up because this is the attitude that Paul is instructing us to have. The reason that we give thanks is bigger than for this food. It's bigger than even this day. <laughs> it's because of who God is. The reason that we are thankful is God himself. Before we even think about the good or the bad, whatever the circumstances that are on our mind, not that they're unimportant, but they're not all important. It's God that is. We thank God for God. We thank him for who he is, that he enabled us to share in the saints' inheritance in the light, that he's rescued us from darkness and, and transferred us to that kingdom where Jesus is king and he reigns in light and we get to exist there today and forever. These are the reasons that Paul gives us in our passage this morning. And they are wonderful. These are the reasons that Christians can say, thank you, Lord. Our title for our series is Complete in Christ, and that's what this is about. This passage gets to the heart of our completeness in Jesus because of what he's done for us. And I also wanted to remind you that this is an inclusive phrase for anyone who has placed their faith in Christ. It's not something that you eventually arrive at being complete in Jesus. It's for anyone who has faith in Jesus as Lord from the moment you believe. I was interested, as I read, um, about 
the language that Paul uses in verses 13 to 14, how that it's intended to remind uh, readers of how God saved his people in the past, specifically their exodus from Egyptian slavery into the promised land. You see, Israel was once trapped under the oppression of slavery. They were not free. They were slaves. But then God gloriously redeemed them, right? A jailbreak for the entire nation. He set them free out of that darkness and into the inheritance which he provided for them as they obeyed his guidance and sometimes disobeyed. (laughs) It was a process to get there. But it was God's doing, his faithfulness to them. And this is worth noting because in Jesus, we are led through the same process spiritually speaking, right? The story of God's people in the Old Testament was a foreshadowing for us, what we go through in Jesus as he brings us from death to life, from slavery to freedom, from darkness to light. And we worship him for that. N.T. Wright calls this idea the new exodus. What Paul is talking about is the new exodus in Jesus because of his life, death, and resurrection. Now with these in mind, these visions of exodus and salvation, Paul shows us how our gratitude is not about what is or isn't happening in our lives or even in the world, but it's about the one who we worship It's about our God who is holy and mighty. He is able to save us and has saved us from all bondage into freedom. And our thanksgiving is founded on this more than anything else. So as we walk this life that is pleasing to God, remember that's the question that Paul is Um, fleshing out as we walk this life that is pleasing to God, we will thank him for who he is. Christians are thankful because God is good. Is life good? Sometimes, but sometimes it isn't. Either way, God is, and we thank him for who he is. This is the essential perspective for us to have. It's about the character of God and our response to who he is. It enables us to have a grateful heart, And as we have this perspective in life, as we walk, we will see how it changes our outlook on our circumstances as well. Because again, our our barometer of happiness is not based upon the good or bad things which come and go. But we can learn to be even content in all things, as Paul says in uh, Philippians. I loved how Pastor Greg uh, shared this about a month ago. He was saying something, how we commonly want to wait to receive from God before we give him thanks for the thing which he's given us. Again, we're talking about circumstances here. This is a normal thing for us to do. I'm thinking about birthday presents because my my littlest son is turning three tomorrow, and he's going to say thank you when he gets that gift because he'll be so excited about whatever it is, right? And that's fine, that's good, and we do thank God for those gifts. But if we limit our gratitude to whatever we receive, we have it backwards, don't we? 
According to Paul's instruction, we should have it the other way around, where every time we come before God, our posture is worship and thanksgiving. And when we do this, um, amazingly, we're actually open, our hands are open to receive more from God. It's true. Whereas if we have our, our arms crossed and we think that we have to wait to give thanks, uh, what, can we, what can we receive? Some things, but it's the, it's the wrong way of approaching the equation. A heart that is already soft to God is where that good fruit will grow and grow and grow. So this is the wonderful thing about Paul's command for joyful thanksgiving is that it's not a, a religious burden. It's not meant to come across as some type of chore for us. But rather, it truly is a life-giving practice for us to learn and walk in and be blessed by. Remember how Paul says, uh, Paul is teaching us how to walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. When we are thankful, it's not just because it glorifies God, because it actually also brings us in step with the life that God has intended for us to live in the first place. And this is a place of blessing. Uh, Paul teaches this elsewhere in 1 Thessalonians 5. He says, Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything. Why? For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is God's will for us. Um, author Reuben Brendenhoff makes the comment like this. He says, It's through the regular practice of gratitude that we become rightly orientated toward God. You see, gratitude really is one of the best avenues that we can set ourselves on to be in step with God's ongoing will for us in this life. It really is powerful. It's amazing what will happen when we come to him with a grateful heart. There are, as I thought about this, there's many biblical examples of people who either were grateful to God and were, and were blessed, or those who turned away from God without gratitude, and it didn't go so well. Um, so I was reminded um, of Adam and Eve's sons, because we actually see both at play in Cain and Abel from Genesis chapter 4. Genesis 4, 3 to 7 tells it like this. In the course of time... Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborns of his flock and their fat portions. Now the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious, and he looked despondent. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you furious? And why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. So here is an interesting situation in which we have two brothers, both offering a gift to the Lord, but apparently there is a significant difference in the gifts because God has regard for one, as in he receives it, and he does not receive the other. We can't miss that Abel's offering to God is um, 
the best. He brings the best of what he has, whereas Cain, it doesn't really say, but what we can assume is he's not bringing the best. He's just bringing um, out of obligation something, but it's not much. So is that the problem? Is it just that one was more expensive than the other? Actually, no. The author of Hebrews explains why Abel's offering was the better one. He says, by faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts. And even though he is dead, he still speaks through his faith. So you see, in Abel, we have the proper thanksgiving, not because the gift was more excellent, although it was. Abel's offering was actually good because it was given from this grateful heart, a heart that had faith and devoted worship and love for God. His offering was made in faith. And in this sense, I would say that Abel was grateful because his offering was based on who God was, not on what he had and felt like giving. It was an act of worship, and he knew that God deserved the best, and so he gave everything that he could. But Cain, on the other hand, seems to give out of a heart of obligation. He has possibly a materialistic mindset. I don't know, but in any case, this does not please God because God's not really interested so much in the materials that we offer, but in the heart behind the offering, right? God cares more about the heart that we have when we give to him than just the thing that we give. And so God says to Cain, very interestingly, he says, sin crouches at the door to rule over you. As in, if we live that way, if we live without gratitude or with a greedy heart or with bitterness or whatever was within Cain, we open ourselves up to temptation, to sin, to feelings of, of selfishness and, and entitlement and anger and bitterness and self-pity. Friends, this is not theoretical. A lack of gratitude in Cain's heart has a sinful effect, and it plays out if you keep reading. He takes vengeance on his brother. He commits the first murder in humanity, and then he tries hilariously to deny it before God. It's not hilarious, but it's ironic that he's trying to convince God that he didn't do what he did because he knew that he did something wrong. And ultimately, Cain suffers consequences for his sin. So all of this is to say that God not only deserves our gratitude because he is awesome, but gratitude will empower us to rule over sin in our lives instead of sin ruling over us. It's very important. It is God's will for us to be completely grateful to him. It will cause us to walk righteously in the meantime. So Christian gratitude is good for God, but it's also very good for us. We benefit greatly from this practice, and so it's important for us to consciously choose as much as we possibly can. It's good for God. It's good for us. And you won't be surprised that I also want to expand this idea to say that our faithful gratitude is also good for others. It's good for others. 
It's good for you, but it's good for other people. To illustrate this, I'll share a story. I was struck by uh, this story told by theologian Miroslav Volf. First, I was struck with jealousy that someone has the name Miroslav Volf while I have the name Blair Stretch. (laughs) But I am grateful for my name. We can't all be Volfs. Um, I am a stretch. (laughs) Anyways, Miroslav Volf is a theologian. He's a a professor at Yale University. Uh, He's born uh, originally in Croatia in the 1950s. But the story was not about Miroslav, but about his father. Miroslav tells about the life of his father as a young man who, like thousands of other men in his generation, ended up on the wrong side of political power multiple times. And so after the Second World War, his father was sentenced by the communists in former Yugoslavia to a death march, which is exactly how it sounds, and also to a labor camp, both of which his father miraculously uh, survived against all odds. Now, during these horrendous experiences, his father came to hold a deep and intense uh, anger towards God. His father was consumed with, with rage towards God for all the injustices, all the suffering that he was witnessing and experiencing that so many others were going through. But the incredible part of the story is that in the midst of these darkest imaginable circumstances of a death march, there was another man who befriended his father. This man was, in Wolf's words, saintly and foolish because he took the time to show and tell his incredibly angry father about the love of God, the goodness of God, under those circumstances. So I'll just read some of what Miroslav shares about this. He says, Through that man, God spoke to my father, and he was transformed almost in an instant. Nothing changed in the situation. Everything changed just because he himself had changed. In the midst of the horror, there was this surprising ray of light that lightened him up from the inside to shift in a matter of hours from curses that were coming almost straight down from hell to this recognition for the meager meal that he had, which wouldn't supply calories that he would end up using that day, and to give thanks for that. He was able to affirm the goodness of the world, notwithstanding, and that made it possible for him to live and to live an extraordinary and beautiful life. I know that it wouldn't have happened had he not encountered there a person who was consistently loving towards him under those circumstances. I share this story because it displays the way that our gratitude to God, can and does extend beyond a personal relationship between us and God and into the world. You see, our thanksgiving to God is a real 
and powerful witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ at work in our lives and on display for others to see. I would say even and especially when our circumstances do not seem worthy of thanks, God's Spirit will remind us to give Him thanks in Jesus for the hope we have, for the love that He has for us, and the grace that He's shown us as He saved us from darkness into light. To this, uh, 1 Peter 4 says, Dear friends, don't be surprised when fiery ordeals come among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. Now, as we live this way, we can display to the people around us what it looks like to live a life that has been redeemed from darkness into light, that we are being transformed by the gratitude which we have. Brothers and sisters, we are thankful. We're thankful even in hardships. And living this way impacts not just us, but the people around us. Those who may be suffering, those who may be in darkness, those who need to experience the love and grace of our Savior, we share it with them in our grateful living. So our gratitude as Christians is good for God as he is fully worthy of our praise for who he is, for how he's saved us. Gratitude is good for us. It benefits us as God uses it to align us with his will in our lives. And gratitude is very good for others to see as we display our faith, as it shines like a light of Christ into those in the world who desperately need to be saved. So my prayer is that taken together, these three angles on the topic of gratitude will show us how our perspective is deeper than circumstantial gratitude. It does not depend on what we may or may not be experiencing. And as we choose this kind of thanksgiving, that the world will see and know about the goodness of the God who we praise in all seasons.